Podcast. Welcome to episode 196 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. I just want to remind you that if you like the podcast, I hope that you'll take a moment to leave a comment or rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your ratings and comments do help new people find the show, or even better, if you know somebody you think will like the show, tell them about it. Some of my favorite podcasts became my favorites because somebody I knew told me about them. So if you tell somebody about Stageworthy, let me know about it. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guests this week are Eli Pasek, Blair Haynes, and Emily Dix from the production of Eli's play False Claims, presented at the Alumni Theatre starting August 2nd and running until August 11th in Toronto. I'd like to, to talk a little bit about, about false claims and what, it, what it's about. I know it's a farce, but beyond that, I don't know much about it. So give me a, give me like, what's the elevator pitch for, for false claims? Oh my gosh, I practiced this so well. False claims is about a devious layabout nephew who poses as his late aunt's husband in order to collect her life insurance money. But as always, farcical complications ensue. <laughs> Well, that sounds classic. Yeah, that sounds like that sounds like <laughs> it is. like nineteen forties like first movie. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So where did where did the idea for that come from? If this was about two years ago. I really wanted to write a farce and had for about three weeks read every farce I could read, watch every farce, and thought about ideas. And quite frankly, just one morning, I woke up and just thought. A nephew poses, you know, as his late aunt's husband and wants to collect her life insurance money. And I also thought of the big twist in the show, I'm not going to tell you. Um, and it was all filmed in place. Everything was done. Of course, everything wasn't done, but the basic structure was done. You know? We always think when we write something the first time, well, that's it. It's done. Finished. Yes. There's nothing more to do. No. Um, at that point, when you had got to that point, when you were like, oh, everything's done, how much more was there to do? Well, I didn't think everything was done. In <laughs> retrospect, everything was done mm-hmm. by then. Mm-hmm. That was the spine of it. Mm-hmm. There was. It came out rather quickly, uh, a one-act version. Mm. In about a week and a half, I did it. And I started writing it as a short story in prose, you know, outlining books here. Da, da, mm. da, da, da. And I wrote the script in a couple of days. And then I left it for a year and a half mm-hmm. just sat there and then i read it with my cousin isaiah um last june and he thought oh how swell uh, you know it, maybe it could be bigger and i thought mm, i don't really want to write more because <laughs> what writer wants to write uh, <laughs> and you know and then last august we had a table reading of it with blair and uh actors with my cousin reading the lead Mm -hmm. and we all kind of thought gee this is really short (laughs) it only ran for about 38 minutes Mm -hmm. and we thought my god this is this is a poem you know it's Mm -hmm. not a play Mm -hmm. um and then it was between august and march of this year 
that I did most of the work mm-hmm. <laughs> and turned it into a two-act 90-minute farce. Had the show dates been set at that point? Well, roughly. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. I've, I find a deadline can be helpful as well as terrifying, but a deadline can, can sort of like light a fire. Yes. I, I went into it thinking this is going to fail. I mean, as in me, <laughs> I'm going to fail at making this a thing. Mm-hmm. But every day I just start, wrote another word and a half and, you know, mm-hmm. it kind of came together. Hmm. Well, we'll find out. <laughs> <clears throat> well, Blair, what, 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 what drew you to, to the piece? Well, I, um, I, I've seen a lot of new work and I, I've, um, been sent scripts and, um, done a lot of workshops and, uh, I just considered myself to be incredibly lucky, basically, that, you know, this incredibly talented young writer, I happened to meet him last year at the Fringe when we were doing, uh, Six Stories Told at Night. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't know if he could write a word, um, mm. but he was very entertaining to talk to in the bar. That's <laughs> <laughs> because the bar. <laughs> um, and so uh, when uh, when they sent me the script to to look at, um, I, I was it was just a sheer delight. Mm. You, you, I can assure you, you do not. You're not presented with many scripts that are like this, so mm. well constructed, so deliciously, um, improbably, um, farcical. It's not a style that you see young writers wor- uh, working in very much. No. Um, so, uh, I loved it from the very beginning and, um, I, I was laughing out loud when I read it. Mm. Um, so, I mean, we, we sure hope that the audience thinks it's as funny as we do, but the font is funny. <laughs> but, but anyway, that's why I, I, I I'm just tickled that uh, somehow I'm involved. When you received that 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 script, was that the 38 minute version? Was that the the, the was. poem? Was that the poem? Yeah. It was. Um, and of Thank course, you. you know, farce uh, reads like lightning, right? Mm-hmm. And and yeah. it's not that we ask the actors to do that. It just Eli's written a play that actors are led. Um, uh, they they're, they're led to the style so easily. Mm. They just have to follow him, and um, that. Um, but it, yeah, it just flew by. Yeah. Um, and I remember uh, afterwards um, saying, "Okay, you know, we should talk about a little bit about this." And um, but but basically, I said, "You know, I what I want you usually when you get a new play, mm-hmm. um, it's long." It's way too long. Mm-hmm. It's um, a play that has trouble focusing and, and it dabbles in all the main mm-hmm. points, but hasn't quite found its focus yet. And you see l- stuff that could be um, reshaped mm-hmm. and, and certainly lots of cuts. Um, there wasn't anything to cut in mm. Eli's play. It was written to the bone. And um, I said, you know, try writing stuff we can cut. <laughs> did, I mean, from a certain from a certain point of view, though, did having a a, a a script that was so so sharp did that allow you to uh, to focus, like to to branch out, to know where the points were, to branch out a little more? Or was it where was it just like be more verbose? No, like write I mean, more. I mean, I'm being very flippant about yeah. that because you know I was trying to encourage. Uh, uh, 
uh, Eli to just follow his nose, mm-hmm. and, you know. But um, I, I think uh, there, that's not to say there are there were definite um, observations that to be made mm-hmm. about character development mm-hmm. um, and and how. Um, uh, since it was so uh, lean and well constructed, um, there, there, there certainly was quite a bit there that could be developed more in, in terms of character, mm. character arc. Why, got you know, f- um, farces are all about improbable mm. um, complications that are uh, deliciously, um, you know, in, in, impossibly and impossibly desperate plans, and he's really. Uh, has the mathematics of that really mm-hmm. um, mastered. Um, but you still have to know um, w- why people are kind of doing what they're yeah. doing. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's where you did most of your work. Mm. Yeah. But but in the second act, again, I won't spoil the surprise, <laughs> but there's a whole 25 pages that was added, you know. But... Then again, in the beginning, there was a whole twenty-five pages. <laughs> Did when you first when it was first read, were you surprised, Eli, how 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 quickly it went by? Yes, I'm always afraid I'm going to bore people. That's why I go, you know, really to the bone. Mm-hmm. But I thought, oh, they want more. Okay, well, all right. You know. What was what was it like like with with these actors reading it out loud? Was did everybody laugh? Was it was it like really entertaining for everybody? Yeah, I think so. The thing is though, the parts where they didn't laugh or they should have mm. are the parts that needed more development and justification. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you're like, okay, there's a problem. It's kind of clear. Now, did you have that thought when people didn't laugh, or did you have to come to that? Uh, both. <laughs> and half the thought when they didn't laugh, mm-hmm. and the other half came to me. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Emily, when did you get involved with the show? 20 minutes uh, ago. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it would have been um, the end of this March. Mm-hmm. So I've just met them recently. I was doing my own show, um, The Rear Window, mm-hmm. the beginning of March, and Isaiah was an actor in it. Mm-hmm. And so he was mentioning that he was, you know, already working on trying to get the casting together and everything. And he let me read the script and I thought it was great. And uh, he asked me to come on doing design stuff because um, through my own company, I always do period productions. So mm-hmm. it seemed like a good fit with that. So, yeah, I came on to do design. And then um, he's... Not not a new producer, but he, I guess, pr- trying to produce something that he's also a lead in mm. was um, was proving to be a little stressful. That's so, difficult. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so I kept um, offering to help out with little things here mm. and there, and eventually he's like, you "Should probably just be a producer." You've been <laughs> so. I mean, it's it's funny because you always think if you don't know, you don't know how much there is to do. Right? How much is there? There's no, there can't be any difficulty that I would run into <laughs> producing and acting in this show yeah. is something that, that I think, and we were heading up to the, to, to fringe as we record this. And that's what a lot of people are now beginning to discover that they can't do. Yeah. You know, um, it's amazing what you don't know until you plunge your head into a bucket of <laughs> things that need doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, but you're, and you're you're in the, it's in the alumni theater, so you're pretty familiar with that with that space, right? Yes, um, the show we did 
two seasons ago we did Luke, <coughs> so a farce actually mm-hmm. with one of the actors too. Uh, Kevin mm-hmm. Forster is in this, and he was the lead in that. Nice. Um, it's kind of funny some of those similarities in the characters. So I've yeah I've done a show there set almost in the same period, same style, mm-hmm. same actor. Mm-hmm. So yeah, nice. Um, Eli, did you have a favorite farce before you started writing this? I really like um, George Fado. He did um, The Lady from Maxine's mm-hmm. and A Flea in Her Ear. All of his farces were, Blair used the word, uh, geometrical mm-hmm. and so intricately plotted. And I really liked his work, like his work. Did you, I mean, you said that you wrote it out as a, as a, as a short story first. Was that your way of, of, of meticulously plotting it out? Or, yeah. yeah, so you don't have to worry about lines and dialogue. They inevitably come to you when you don't want them. <laughs> and it's mostly to worry about entrances and exits. Mm-hmm. And I know he's here, so he's a... Da, 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 da. You know right. I mean? yeah. yeah. And it really helped. I'd never done that before. And I thought, okay, I'll do this. No, but I think I think there's something about a farce that, that almost requires that kind of... That kind of thing. It's just you, pure story you're working on. Yeah. No dialogue. Yeah. No. You need to. You need to know where everybody is so you can set up the comedy later. Otherwise, if you have to work backwards, it's it just gets kind of messy. Yes, but then sometimes you do work backwards. Like <laughs> if I can get him over here, and then this and this could be a charming moment, and then you do yeah. it and it fails, and then you try again. <laughs> but I mean, you never. You don't know, right? You don't know until you try it. No, I, just, yeah. I still don't know. <laughs> um, I want to. Before we before we talk too much more about about false claims, I want to I want to talk to you guys about your your theater origin stories, um, um, and and you know why theater, what brought you to theater, that sort of thing. So if you'd like to, to start, Eli, what well, what do you remember when you first started being interested in theater? When they took me off Prozac. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. No, I started being interested in the theater. Um, Many, many years ago, when I was young, I grew up in a neighborhood with all old people, mm-hmm. people in their 70s, and they were, this was the 90s, so, you know, they were born in, you know, you do the math. Um, <laughs> in London, Ontario. In London, Ontario. Yes, yeah. Okay. And I always did red skeleton sketches for them. I didn't even know what the word the meant or cat, but I was doing red skeleton sketches. Um, and he was him being drunk. I didn't even know what that meant. So th- that was, I suppose, my first um, entrance into the theater, in a sense. And then I suppose it wasn't until high school when I saw, you know, the school plays. And mm-hmm. I thought, I never wanted to write until after, I, after my first year in college. Mm-hmm. I went to Berkeley School of Music in Boston. And I was aiming to be an orchestrator for the mm. theater. And at the end of that year, I thought I started. I read a particular script, uh, a musical comedy. A funny thing happened on the way to the forum, mm-hmm. and I thought it was another farce. Yeah. And I thought, gee, I have to do this. And that's when I started actually, you know, doing mm. the theater. Um. So you you went to school without thinking about theater. You no, were, no, no scripts, no entrance, exit lines. So you were just you were music. So what music. what took you to music? I think again orchestration. I liked. I had no idea of 
I wrote songs in high school and lyrics, um, but I, for some reason I wanted to be an orchestrator of the music. I like the colors and all that. And I guess writing plays is a sort of orchestration, mm. so I was unconsciously learning how to do that. Um, do you do you have a sense of when you figured out what an orchestrator did? Mm, I'm still trying. The thing <laughs> is, a man, I emailed him when I was 16, named Larry Blank. And Larry Blank orchestrated, he's a conductor and an orchestrator. And he did The Producers, The Drowsy Chaperone. Mm-hmm. And I emailed him saying, can you teach me how to orchestrate, mister? And he did for free for three years. Wow. Thank you, Larry. Um, <laughs> and I learned more about everything in that time than I ever did. Mm. Yet, uh, what ultimately um, uh, forced me to drop that was I was too slow at sitting there with the notes. Mm. He's like, okay, you know, it's insane. But I think that's what he taught me totally informs the theater Mm. because even then i was underwriting my orchestrations for fear of overwriting Mm. (laughs) i'm still doing that with plays do you remember what the first what was the first play that you wrote oh i think it was a musical um and it was called away we go and it's set in 1930s hollywood and it's about this film director trying to revive his career and in order to do that, he goes on location to a South American country. And it's silly and crazy, and he films. Um, it's so bad now. The local Kunkta tribe. It's just, <laughs> it's kind of a take, it's like King Kong meets mm-hmm. 42nd Street. Okay, you know? okay. It was kind of like that. And then from there, it just spiraled downwards. <laughs> <laughs> but it, there must have been something there because you kept, you kept writing. Yeah, I don't know what. It, it, <laughs> Because, like I said, mainly it was lyrics I was writing mm-hmm. and music. And the style of music is very much in the Cole Porter um, vein of writing. I suppose, here's the other moment. Um, when I was in throughout high school, I played in a lot of pit orchestras as a mm-hmm. piano player. And I spent a lot of time listening to scenes being played over and up My Fair Lady. And the particular show that I was on, Anything Goes, was another moment where I thought, I have to write these mm-hmm. lyrics are so mm-hmm. wonderful I need to try my best to mimic them and yeah when you were listening to those shows over and over were you were you picking up on things that you would do differently or were you just soaking in the the dialogue the language the cadence I think I was it was all unconscious I was just sitting there half the time I was going when's this going to be over and then, you know what I mean <laughs> I had no, yet I loved it, but at the same time, I was, you know, just a regular human wanting to get out and scream in the streets, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. You know, Emily. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Blair, what about you? What's, what's your, what's your theater origin story? What, what, what brought you into this? Well, I came from a town called Brantford. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> which is, which is known as a, a massive theater town. It's the cultural, <laughs> the diverse, the blah blah yada yada yeah. yada, and yeah. So you've been there. Um, <laughs> I um, I really had no aspirations or uh, my grandmother. I, maybe that's what it is. My grandmother was babysitting me one day, and she I don't know why, but she took me to um, uh, a high school, mm. a production of Julius Caesar, and I thought all I could think of is how did those guys ever get enough of. Uh, nerve to wear those skirts <laughs> but 
Um, I, I suppose where, uh, for real, it was uh, in high school when I was, I don't know, in grade 12 or something mm-hmm. like this. And, I, and I, I sat at the back with my two buddies. And um, and it was an English class. And the th- we thought we were in a lot of trouble. The, uh, the teacher asked us to stay behind after class. So I said, oh, okay. So we're sitting there, and his name was... Mr. Davies, he came down, and he and he said, "So I'm directing a play, um, and I want you all to audition for it." It was Ionesco's. It was a, an absurdist one-act play uh-huh. by Ionesco, and um, and so I, we all just didn't say anything. We just stared at him, and then he left, and I said, "Well, are you guys go." And he says, "I guess we have to." So. I went and they didn't show up. My, my two buddies didn't show up. Had you had any? Had you done any theater? No. Was he just like, listen, no, no, we, need, we need we need boys in this show? Or no, I think that- I think so. Yeah, I, I really I can't imagine why he asked us. Mm. Um, I had I, one of my friends had a red afro, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe that was why. Um, and the rest of us were just two of us were. I don't know. I really don't know why. <laughs> but but anyway, I don't. It was so hilarious. I, I ended up getting cast as one of the Bartholomews in this one act play. Mm-hmm. And then um, I had no idea. I mean, I didn't eat, I couldn't understand a word of the play. <laughs> it just sounded like gibberish to me. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, it's funny. They're laughing because they don't understand us either. <laughs> and, uh, and, then I, I, and then the next play, he, uh, he, he told me I was going to be in that one, too. Um, and I ended up playing Sir Thomas More in mm-hmm. The Man for All Seasons. Talk about, again, not knowing anything. So anyway, is that th- this wonderful teacher mm. somehow invited me into his world, and, and I got the idea of it all. When did, when did you decide that it was going to be a thing that you were going to do? I didn't know people could do it, do things like that. <laughs> in Brantford, people didn't, I didn't know anybody who did any of that stuff, as if it was even a possibility, or how do you? Hmm. I, I thought I wanted to be a graphic artist, and, and again, I, I thought, how is that possible? Yeah. I have no, I don't have no idea how to do it. So I decided to train as an actor, so I show show. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know, but, but I, 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 the truth, the truthful was, is that, is that I was easily led. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had some two friends that were really quite serious uh, about training mm-hmm. for the theater. And they, um, they auditioned for um, the University of Alberta BFA program, which is a, a, a highly reputed uh, uh, acting school. Mm-hmm. And they only take 12 people every year. So I, I thought, well, maybe... So, but, and I knew one person there who was uh, in my high school, mm. and that was totally it. I, I thought, well, maybe if, if he got, maybe I would. I auditioned for York, and they told me at, right away that I should consider something else. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was so, I was so depressed. But I thought, well, should I even bother auditioning for the U of A? Mm. And, um, and I did, and they told me right away, you're in. <laughs> so it's so, um, it's such a uh, random thing sometimes. So you had you had friends who were very serious about pursuing the theater, and you sort of got pulled along with them. Uh, yeah, basically. Mm. Um, I mean, I, at that time in my life, I, I I 
you know, had skipped a grade. So I was always a year dumber than everybody else. <laughs> and I was sort of looking around for uh, role models and I didn't really know. Mm. I, I don't think I would have, with those, there were just two fluky things or I don't think I would have ever been able to find my way into that world because it was so far removed from what I was, hmm. what, what I was doing in Brantford. But I'm sure glad. Mm. <laughs> that it worked out that way yeah. because I ended up in an excellent school and I and I, I worked nonstop and I was basically able to do whatever I wanted to do and mm. uh, it was all out west before I returned to Toronto. So um, anyway, that, that's that's my Genesis story and mm. and, and I'm probably not too. Um, I, I think this this generation with um, Emily and. Um, Eli, they they're they're in uh, uh, Toronto where there's so many opportunities to make your own work, mm-hmm. and there's so much going on that you could literally go out every day of the week and uh, and participate in an arts related event. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's a great gift, mm-hmm. um, but it wasn't something that uh, was part of my life in Brantford. No, but also I think that, that, I mean, the, the self-producing model is pretty recently accepted as a, as a legitimate route. Yes. When I was in theater school back in 1990, um, <laughs> they, um, I mean, there. The whole thing was like, your career is going to be. You're going to audition for the show. You're going to do this show. You're going to email. You're going to send letters to, to agents and and and, and artistic yeah. directors to get them to come to see the show, so you can audition for another show and then do the same thing. And that's what you're going to do. And maybe if you fail, you can do fringe theater. Yes. <laughs> and, but now, like, what would our theater landscape be without? fringe and other independent works it's where people make their names that's very nicely put and and it is indeed um uh what i find so exciting um uh, but i i when i was i i graduated and i went right into the workforce in mm-hmm. the old model mm-hmm. um playing theater all over the place mm-hmm. um and but i never once conceived of, mm-hmm. of producing yet i mean in edmonton we had the edmonton fringe mm-hmm. so i did do some edmonton fringe projects and mm-hmm. stuff like that but that was the extent of that was the extent mm-hmm. that you could even conceive of that as um a real way that you wanted to work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. emily um how did you get into the producing side of things um well, I guess from when I was very small, I was doing directing and producing without really realizing it. Mm-hmm. I remember being about four years old and writing a little script for my friends to do and then getting really, really upset when they weren't following the stuff we had agreed on <laughs> and arguing with my, my best friend who said, it's a play that means you just play and me saying, no, you have to follow it and you have to do it this way. Um, so... I had already had, long before I had any concept of what um, a director or producer really was, I was already always the one who would kind of take it upon myself to organize things. Um, that continued through high school. I grew up in Kitchener-Waterloo, so also no theater stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but that kind of worked to my advantage because in high school, while we didn't have a real drama program or any support, there was also no one to tell me I couldn't do something. So I was sort of mm. given the reins and I got to just do what I wanted, which mm. was maybe good. Um, then I came to Toronto in 2008 and I went to U of T and studied English and I've got a drama minor, but it wasn't uh, like acting. It's, you know, studying old plays. 
And so I got involved with the, um, the different college uh, theater groups mm-hmm. there and was more interested in, in directing than producing, but very quickly got very frustrated with working <laughs> with not very good producers mm-hmm. um, because it was just, and maybe this wouldn't have happened if I was in a drama program, but doing stuff that had people who were interested in drama but didn't think that was going to be their career, they, of course, put their jobs or school ahead of Mm -hmm. what they were doing, which I wasn't doing. So when I would drop everything for three weeks so that I could be up till 2 a.m. sewing costumes and then get up to do rehearsals and then, you know, and I couldn't get my um, producer to, like, book the space for us or something because she had to study for an exam. Mm -hmm. It was infuriating. Mm -hmm. Um, and then basically the thing that was sort of the turning point was I, I did a production of Hairspray, um, which was hectic because we had about a month and a half to put it together. And being a school production, um, we had to basically take every, um, first year student from that college who applied. So I had a cast of 56. My stage manager never came to a rehearsal. <laughs> I did all of the costumes, some of the set design, and then was directing it. I'm sorry, and Emily, did you see you had a cast of 56? Yes. Oh. And, um, and <laughs> but the most stressful part was I have very limited musical ability. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did have a music director who was great, but he he couldn't commit to much because he actually, like, had a career doing music stuff. So sometimes we would get there and he wouldn't be there and I would just be plunking out, like, the melody with my right hand trying to get... I have no uh-huh. music training. So um, so that was stressful. But in the end, uh, for our little, little, like, four-show run, it went well. And mm-hmm. we sold out and everyone seemed to like it. And then I realized uh, that the producers hadn't bothered to get any of the half a dozen campus newspapers to come out um <laughs> they <laughs> i didn't get like a thank you for anything mm. um and the real killer was like i'd taken two weeks off of work and school to work on this and they made money and it's like oh and i, I don't get any of that mm. so it's like well okay then i can do this if i give <laughs> yeah. myself the time to do it so i started my company uh bygone theater um right around then i guess Hairspray was in 2011, and Bygone started in October of 2012. Hmm. And yeah, so I've just kept doing it since then. And having started that, it's gotten me some jobs. I worked um, with Theater 20 as a producer, and I worked at Tarragon as an assistant producer hmm. for a year, and I've done some freelance stuff here and there. And I've, hmm. I've started to actually enjoy it instead of doing it just out of <laughs> spite and desperation. <laughs> now, how how long did it take for you to get from from doing it out of spite and desperation to enjoying it? Um, She's still transitioning. <laughs> <laughs> it depends what you're doing, I guess. Mm-hmm. There, uh, and who you're working with. Mm-hmm. The, the first one that Bygone did um, was kind of different. And it was uh, a co-production, technically. And so the other people that I was working with, it was just, it, they can be, it can be tricky to do co-pros. Um, but after that, I guess it, it was all right. The, the only thing that sort of stops me from liking it more is that you, you can be happy with your artistic product 
And like with our last show and people were saying, oh, how do you think it went? And it's like, well, as the director, I think it went great. As the producer and knowing how much money we put mm-hmm. in and how mm-hmm. much the ticket sales were. So I've never gotten to do a show and just felt good about it after because you're just too aware of all of the different parts, especially the money, sure. which just comes out of my pocket, yeah. my boyfriend's pocket. So, <laughs> yeah. No, that's definitely one of the one of the hard parts. I mean... Aside from aside from money, for me, what I think in a lot of people who start producing, um, it's it's publicity that becomes yes. the thing that people end up being most uncomfortable with. Mm. Some people are like, I don't have a problem with you know using Excel and creating a budget, whatever you know, all of that stuff. But talking like getting the media to come out, I don't know how to do that because people have difficulty talking about their own work. Yeah, well, it's also difficult getting anyone to listen. Well, you yeah. know, there are there are some. I guess I won't name names because I like to keep everyone coming out. But you know, there are <laughs> there are like um, sites that do reviews that you know you can get someone out from, but you also know there's a good chance it'll be a person that doesn't know how to write and doesn't know theater. Mm-hmm. So do you invite them to make sure you've got a review, or do you say I don't even want to deal with that? Yeah, um, we've done Bygone has done eleven main stage shows and probably close to twenty little one night things. And we've only twice managed to get now to come out. Mm-hmm. And there were years in between doing it. Um, and it took a lot of like pestering and you can't get a response from anything like the star or the globe and mail. No. And that's always my first question when I see an indie group that's gotten a review from them is what did you do? Yeah. So. I had some friends, they, they did indie, indie work. They, they got the star to come out, but somebody knew the reviewer yeah. and like begged yeah. basically. And that seems to be for indie. One of the ways to do it, it can be very difficult. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's one reviewer at a, a major paper that I know from a different article mm-hmm. thing. And so he gives me the courtesy of saying he's sorry, but he can't come. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's, yeah. uh, you know. It, 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 it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. And also, it's it's hard to get noticed because, you know, there you said you know, there's so much going on. That also works against you getting noticed sometimes. You, it, there's so much going on that it can be hard to get noticed. Oh yeah. Um, Eli, speaking of getting noticed, you've you've gotten this is this is seems to be turning out to be a, a, a big year for you. In addition to uh, false claims, you have a couple of other projects that are that are on the go. Yeah. Uh, you want to tell me about a couple of those? Sure. In October, um, we're putting up. Uh, when I say we, I mean Rob Sapienza. Brian Kling of Sapling Productions are producing, in association with a man named Larry Silverberg, a musical comedy of mine titled Something for the Boys, mm-hmm. spelled B-U-O-Y-S. <laughs> it's a show that makes fun of nautical musicals, mm-hmm. and it's going up in October at the George Ignatieff Theater, and yeah. Well, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, I know. Two shows in one year. How How... Let's just take a second and talk about where oh, wait, a show go up before we plod. <laughs> no, let's let's take a second and talk about about um, like this musical, this this making fun of nautical musicals. Where did that where did that come from? Aside from making fun of nautical musicals, I um I came this one came out of I wrote a song once, which is the opening number of the show, and basically from that stemmed the whole show. Mm. And I'll just give you the title. It's called Seamen. Uh, and it's a bunch of horny sailors <laughs> who sing about the women ashore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I thought, hmm, where can we go with this idea? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, it has a, 
I like to think a decent message about, mm. you know, it's all about love, physical love versus, you mm. know, true emotion and all that. Um, so let's not paint me to be some sort of you know, <laughs> horny person. Or no, but I, I mean, there, let's. I mean, there is some of the 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 great um, theater, uh, musical theater teams have have written along. I was thinking South Pacific as soon yeah. as started. Right, talking talk about that open number, I was like, oh, okay, so it's like the sailors in South Pacific. Yeah, and, not, know, like, but a little more, a little more raunchy because you can do it now. You can do that. Now. It's more <laughs> in the vein of cold. It's totally an homage to Cole Porter. Okay, you know. Um, I'm hearing a lot of a lot of Cole Porter. I like Is that, Cole Porter. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to like about Cole Porter. But yes. was was did you did you were you exposed to Cole Porter very early or no? It, it, Grade 10, when I did Anything Goes at the mm -hmm. Grand in London, I was a rehearsal pianist for that. And that's when I not only thought, wow, I like Cole Porter, but wow, I want to try to be like Cole Porter. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to ever come close to him, partly because my musical talents are so limited, but I'm okay with it. I do a certain thing, mm -hmm. and, you know, not a lot of people do. Everyone who does it is dead now. Um, <laughs> so if you want to see it, you're going to have to come in October to the show. Um, you know, they revi the Gershwins have been dead for like 40 years, mm -hmm. and they get a new show every 10 years on Broadway. Oh, you know? sure, yeah. But so this is an example of, you've never heard it before, but it sounds like it, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. um, what was I saying? <laughs> Cole Porter. Cole Porter. Um, yeah. Most of the music I write is in the vein of Cole Porter. Mm. But again, ever since um, reading A Funny Thing Happened All the Way to Four, my interests have lied mainly in words and text, mm. you know. And I mean, I've, I've always had an interest in comedy. You know, Mel Brooks, Woody Allen, and mm. all those guys. Um, and now I'm finally going to... It's funny, though, because in October, when we do the musical, I'm going to be saying, oh, my God, all these instruments, all this money, what, you know. And now when we do the play, it's like, oh, no instruments, no money. But then you walk into the theater and you go, where are the instruments? You know, when you have one, you want the other. When you want the other, you have this, you know. <laughs> you know. Um Taking on the the, I mean, it sounds like you're you're well versed in the the the, the tropes of this period that that, that false claims is set in. It's a kind word for it. <laughs> <laughs> did did I mean? Was 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 working in this in this period? Uh, uh, did you immediately want this, or did you know like? Well, you know, and I wouldn't even consider it working in this. It's check yes in this period. It's in this case, it's 1954, and in the musical, it's 1934. For some reason, I have a like four is a lot. <laughs> um, but at the same time, the humor is so it's more me, <clears throat> you know what I mean? And you, I'm saying things you couldn't have said back then, and nor would anyone have because they I didn't exist back then, you know, and they, you know, <laughs> and. The only reason I am the way I am now is because of reading what was back then. Mm -hmm. And had I been back then, I would have been, you know, writing like Gilbert and Sullivan mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. um, so, yes, is the period, but at the same time, it's not the period. And I like to think, you know, like, th there, all these shows are built on, you know, philosophical points at the risk of sounding, you know, boring. Um <laughs> <laughs> 
Thanks, Byron. And, you know, that never goes out of style, you know. People were as corrupt back then as they are now, mm -hmm. and stupid and horny and all sorts of things. Mm. They just they just uh, had nice suits over top of all yes, of those things. Exactly, <laughs> you see. They still have nice suits, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, the show opens uh, on August 2nd. Yes. And um, at the Alumni Theater. Um, have you have you been in that space? Have you got to work on that space before? Never. No? I live two blocks away from it. So you've walked. Have you have you, walked, you by walked by it? it. <laughs> have you have you walked by it? Sort of like looked in the windows, being like, I'm going to be there soon. Yes, yeah. yes. It has a very nice exterior. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think. I mean, it sounds like it's the right space for the show. Um, Emily, you've worked there before. And, yeah, I've yeah. done a few things. There's not a lot of traditional theater spaces that are affordable. Mm -hmm. So for its price, it cannot be beat. Yeah. <laughs> In a magical world where we could do, you know, Heart House or the Elgin or something, maybe that would be even mm -hmm. more fitting, but yeah. you're looking at 10 times the cost. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and that, that's one of the big, the big things about self-producing in this city is, is cost. And, yes. <laughs> and uh, although there's some, 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 some storefront spaces, you can't put a big show on those yeah. and a show that needs space. You can't really put on those. So, yeah. I mean, this is a show Rob that has a cast of eight. Mm hmm. Not 56. Not 56. Not close <laughs> to that, but that's a pretty big cast for an indie show. And that's actually a, like, as indie shows go, that's pretty huge. It's pretty huge. Um, and that's what I thought initially when we looked at um, uh, the 38-minute version. I mm. said, this is unproducible. Mm. You know, it's like yeah. a one act with eight actors. Mm -hmm. Seven and it's, the time. And it's, and it's 1954. Yeah. So you have all the period attached to that. So mm. you couldn't... Uh, so you know, it's it's kind of it's quite an ambitious show yeah. from all of that for an indie, uh, com a brave indie company to take on and say, yeah, we're going to do it. And yeah. um, uh, it, it is set in an, on a Tuesday, and in uh, uh, nineteen fifty four, uh -huh. in June, <laughs> and um, in in Toronto, it's, hmm. a, it's a set a far set in Toronto. Hmm. Kind of a Toronto that maybe never quite existed, mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, it's it's quite a it's quite an ambitious uh, undertaking. Hmm. So, what do you what do you? I'll ask each of you, and hopefully, you each have different answers. What are you most looking forward to about this show going up? I'll be curious to know what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, if it works or not. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. If the jokes land, if the situations mm. are funny. Mm. Just what I've been slaving away for two years to see if it works. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm interested in. Blair? Well, what I'm most uh, uh, looking forward to and hoping for is uh, for the audience to have the sheer delight that I experienced when I first read the play mm. and um, I've, and that is is what I would like to um, hope happens mm. and I, I don't I don't see we have a great cast mm -hmm. um, and um, at, at a play that is really worth um, igniting and I don't see why we can't get there, but that's what I hope for. Hmm. Emily, is there anything you're looking forward to? <laughs> Getting to design a show that I'm not putting my own money into. <laughs> um, that's fair. Basically, yeah. Um, 
I've done quite a few shows that are are similar, mm. and um, yeah, the, the cast size and the period stuff doesn't doesn't scare me away because that's what I've been doing for the past ten years. Mm-hmm. But it is really nice to have the the producing work without being like, "Am I going to be able to pay my rent mm. in September?" Yeah. So it's yeah. it's nice. It doesn't have the mm. the horrible stress behind <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Well, I want to thank you all for for coming in and having this conversation. I'm looking forward to seeing the show. This has been a Homebody Productions production.